0: and their
2: essential
0: love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Cut Through Vine for April 19th, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Tim shiflett
3: Good evening, sir.
0: Good to have you on, and hopefully the weather will be better than last week. I know you had to cut out a little early. We explained to the listeners, and um, it's raining again. But hopefully uh um, yeah. no tornadoes <laughs> and what have you uh coming through. Yeah, we only
3: had two tornadoes. Uh it it was it it was a it was a rough night, uh, for for those folks of you in you know, anywhere in the southeast that went through that. Uh uh, you know, all my best. I hope everything came out okay for you. I know that unfortunately over in Murray County, we lost some folks, and we had some injured here and, and a lot of damage and stuff. And, uh, you know, just all my best to all of you.
0: Yep, and uh, second that. And, Tim, you said you only had two, but you know what you call two tornadoes?
3: Mm. What's that? Two
0: too many. Too too many.
3: Yeah.
0: You, know, you want zero <laughs> yeah. tornadoes. Um, yeah. you know, so anyway, well, speaking of uh tornadoes, uh, probably one of the states that we think of when we think of twisters, uh, would be Oklahoma. Uh, maybe there's a few more, but um, the flatlands. And our guest this uh, week is Fred Davis, who hails from Oklahoma but now lives in Hollywood and is probably the preeminent leading GOP media consultant, uh, going today and probably has been there for the last uh decade or two. Um, was Arnold Schwarzenegger's media consultant, I believe did John McCain's campaign, um, and probably countless others, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about media um, and how candidates can use it, because he's looked at Democratic candidates too, and, and kind of sees it from both sides as far as how to use the medium um, but we're going to pick his brain also for a little Republican information, since he's one of their main um, leaders in that industry but until then, we got some topics and the first topic I want to talk about is, of course, COVID-19 related, as every seemingly everything is, um, and I want to start off with that, and here's the question. We know that um, the cases continue on, but they're not increasing as fast as they were in all places, um, New York, I guess, being the place that we've looked at the most since that's been the most cases in the country and really the world if you want to talk about one just little area, um, but it's not you know, going away. So there's kind of that in-between, is it going to get better? How fast is it going to get better? You know, There's speculation. There's informed speculation with medicine, but at the same time, we've got people that are just, I'm tired of being cooped up. I want to go to Fuddruckers, and literally people had a sign that they wanted to open up Fuddruckers. I mean, you can say restaurants, but this person had a specific place in mind they wanted to go to. Don't know if Fuddruckers is not doing takeout in their town. Fuddruckers closed up in our town before um, COVID-19 struck, and so we wouldn't even have that option to protest him. But seriously, um, you know, once again, not getting deep, deep into medical information because there's far better people to do that. What is the political dynamics of here, of how long you stay closed, or when you open, how fast you open, what do you open? Um, politically, what's the ideas behind that?
3: Oh, you know, everything we talk about every week, I, I guess we need to prequel it w- with the following sentence. We are in uncharted Territory here. We literally have never faced exactly this before. I swear. I think both parties are feeling their way along, and just you know, reacting and making things up as we go. I uh, I think that governors elect all elected officials at every level. Uh, obviously, the White House, uh, uh, the Congress, pe- people are just going as they go here. It's going to be different in every state, I think. Uh, New York obviously looks at this thing a lot differently than Nebraska, for instance. Um the thing is, though, this thing is has is, is kind of hit everywhere. There's no place it has not touched, somewhat. Even a little bitty county like mines had a had a person unfortunately to pass in it. Um, and, and I guess it's gonna it's gonna be piecemeal. I don't see how. how it can open any other way, and politically, it's going to be fraught with peril either way you go. Um, there are actually people sitting around now weighing the balance between the economy and uh, health, the health of the citizenry. And uh, they're all looking for that little Goldilocks zone where, aha, here's the right time to open things back up. And I just don't think it's going to be that simple. Do you, David?
0: Yeah, because I think if you said, okay, we're opening restaurants back up. Let's just take that. Or non-essential shopping. No grocery store shopping, but you know, we're just talking about things that are um, – you know, I mean obviously, clothes or a need you don't go run around the streets naked, but you know usually we can make do for a few months um what we got um but those non necessity things well, do the um people code go to the restaurants do people go shopping at say Macy's or um you know foot locker or whatever you know store you want to use? do people immediately start going to those stores and anywhere close to the numbers? Um, that they did before if the state opens up. And we know that South Carolina, Henry McMaster, the governor, has already said that he's going to open shopping back up. I think he also mentioned restaurants. They may be the first to want to open back up. I know they said Texas uh, wants to open back up, and Texas has not been hit as hard given its uh, population size in some other places, but it's not doing as well as, say, Rhode Island, which I heard a Harvard study that if you open up one place – it would be Rhode Island, although you'd almost have to lock down the borders between Boston and New York um, because they're so close to those two hot spots if you wanted to open back up in, in somewhat of a fashion. But, Tim, that's the question. Do you think that their sales would be back up where they could hire all back all their servers, hire back their hourly, hourly employees, and um, just go back to business as normal, um, selling their wares? Just as far as people being fearful or not we, fearful,
3: we 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 have a partial answer there from our recent history because before governors uh, started ordering states to shelter in place, closing things down, we saw a dramatic drop off of business at those sort of places before people were ordered not to go to them. So I think our answer is it's not going to be anywhere near the numbers of customers that it was six months ago. It's going to be more like it was, say, oh, early to mid-March, when yeah. this big drop-off started happening. Um And therefore, I don't see any way that the number of people could be employed that were employed before. But, you know, when the public hears, hey, we're opening up, a lot of people are going to expect to go out and see things exactly as they were. People are going to think, well, I'm going to get my job right back. And, you know, a lot of that I don't think is going to happen, Uh, and it's going to be different in different states and somebody's gonna answer politically for that. Uh the question is who?
0: Yeah, and there's two and there's two other um aspects to that. You know, we said would people be afraid to go? Then there might be people that are willing to go. I don't feel fearful, but I don't have the money because either A I lost my job or B mm-hmm. my paycheck's still coming in. But we don't know what it's going to look like in three months, six months, a year. I work for state uh-huh. government. Right now, my uh-huh. paycheck is good. But if, you know, and I heard Andrew Cuomo talking about this if state government doesn't get replenished, are there going to be cuts almost a year down the road from this? I heard the state of Georgia, so, $500 million in lost tax so, revenue is projected. I mean, that's a so, huge budget hole. So, so
3: then we are probably looking at a recovery that is as least at least as long and gradual as say the recovery from the great recession there's no you know this thing happened so fast i think a lot of people think it's going to recover that fast i think donald trump thinks it's going to recover that fast And I believe even if everything's opened up, we're probably looking at maybe uh, an unemployment rate of 8 to 10 percent on election day. I don't see how it can be any different. I think what the president is banking on, if we want to just talk pure politics here about this, is he thinks, okay, let's open everything up, get it going. Great guns. Because the economy will still be the chief issue in November, and people will vote on the economy uh, as to how they see the economy doing. Oh, in September, if it's doing well, those people will decide to vote for me. I really believe Donald Trump thinks that, and I just don't see how it can happen that way. Because the country, number one, would have to open uniformly, and I just don't see how that – that obviously is not going to happen. And secondly, if, well, you know, you got one state open up and three states right around it that haven't opened up, oh, but then all of a sudden because one state's open up and some more ain't. You start getting uh, hot spots and the virus starts increasing again, and people have to turn around and go back inside. I think it's going to be a bunch of stops and starts, too. So the recovery is going to be very slow, I think. It's going to be very uneven, I think. And there's a lot of people that are going to be out of jobs and probably long term on unemployment, I think. Uh, That doesn't even count what you were talking about with where are these governments uh, going
0: to get the money to
3: continue to operate as they did.
0: Oh, yes, and to me that's going to be a big stimulus package down the road or a fight over one because Uh um, it's going to get down to where states want to fund things, and they've been having to spend extra money. You know, fighting this virus, buying PPE, uh-huh. and printing up signs to tell what's closed and everything else. And then you think about it: some states have a uh, income tax base of revenue and sales tax, but then other mm-hmm. states like a Florida, like a Texas, don't have any state income tax, and they like to brag about that. But then in times like mm-hmm. this, when you depend on your 8 and 9% sales tax, particularly in a state like mm-hmm. Florida, which I understand, hey, we're going to get all these tourists to pay part of our sales tax. They're not there. Mm-hmm. I, I mean uh, people are right. canceling vacations left and right, and they're not going to be – and even if in Texas where there's probably not as much tourism. of um, Some – I've been on vacation once to Texas, nice vacation. Um, You still are not going to have – People um, spending the tax dollars to get the sales tax to then fund the schools, fund the roads, fund your um, every department, your government that just does normal work that employs people. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, let's kind of get to another question. This is where I think a lot of folks are getting mixed messages. You hear it's getting better. You see people pushing to open things back up. You hear Donald Trump saying, we're going to have rallies. Of course we're going to have a convention. Then you have the Democratic Party saying, we don't know. And then you have Taylor Swift and, uh, saying all concerts are canceled. I mean, not that that's a, a public good or a national need, but you understand she's probably going to stadium tour because it's money, but she's saying, I can't have it. And then you hear the MLS commissioner saying, if we get back to playing our season, and their season's you know, supposed to be played right now through about Thanksgiving Day, and they're saying if we go back, we're probably going to play with no fans. And then we know some other sports leagues are saying we're going to play with no fans. College football, there's even been a rumor they may start in February. Colleges are saying we may not have in-person classes even in the fall. We're having to uh, plan contingencies. We're getting so much mixed information. Tim, how much of a problem do you think that is that people are just confused because they don't know if it's one way or the other? Well, of
3: course they're confused because they're getting mixed signals. That begins at the top. When you get out there and you say something, and then the next day you get out there and you say the exact opposite and you swear you never said the first thing, even though they have video of you saying it, you know, people are going to get confused. We need a steady hand of leadership in these times. Oh, well, uh, I, I can I can just think back how steady the hand of Barack Obama was when he walked into the White House and was faced with this economic disaster. But how cool, how calm! Uh, people people actually uh, misinterpreted that for saying. You know the man. The man needs some emotion. He doesn't have anybody. he just didn't rattle. We need that steady hand right right now. We don't need somebody that's arguing with reporters in a press room and and starting feuds with the World Health Organization and things like that. So it begins at the top, David. And I'm very afraid that we're just not gonna we're, we're not gonna have that steady hand. Uh, that calm, measured approach at the top And therefore, confusion is going to reign for a while And it's just going to make things worse And you know what it's going to make I think that a lot of governors, a lot of mayors A lot of business owners A lot of these uh, sports leagues They're, they're just going to pretty much have to figure things out for themselves For lack of, of any, any any other guidance, don't you think?
0: Yeah, and and I just having the fans is the piece that they just probably won't. Well, let's get into. I'm gonna frame one more question for you on this topic, and that is: okay, we talk about the conventions. Donald Trump says we're gonna have a convention. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're gonna have a convention. Uh, You know, the city of Charlotte may have something to say about that, but they can probably find somewhere that would have it. Uh, You know, they're gonna have a convention. Democrats are saying we just don't know. They're already saying we won't do it in July. We'll do it in August if we do it. I don't know why July and August are that much different um, you know because or, because if it's going to continue on, it seems like August may be as bad as July, but if it gets better, you know they're both going to be okay. We just uh, we just don't know it, it's all projections that are based in science based on medicine. but let's say I'm going to give you two scenarios. one scenario Republicans hold a convention, Democrats don't. Things get better. No one gets sick. You know, the Democrats have their grand event in Joe's basement. The Republicans have theirs in Bank America Stadium or wherever the heck the Charlotte Hornets play in Charlotte. I'm not sure if they're doing an arena or an open air for the big speech. That's one scenario, and, and you know, everything's pretty good. No, you know, the Republican delegation are not all, you know, with COVID-19 after the fact. And then scenario two. The Republicans hold the convention, Democrats don't, and then a wave of Republicans get sick. Charlotte becomes a new hotspot of COVID-19. They take it back, and there's this big reoccurrence. It becomes the biggest bump um, that people can define in a few you know, months maybe because they held this convention. you got two scenarios. What's the pros and the cons of each scenario, Tim?
3: Well, obviously, to put it simply, the first scenario good for the Republicans, bad for the Democrats, and 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 the second scenario, uh, you know, terrible for the Republicans; they wouldn't have time to recover. Good for the Democrats. And now here is you know the reality of the thing and where it stands now. Donald Trump loves the spectacle of a large event with a massive adorning crowd of thousands hanging on his ever word while he talks forever. Uh, was there ever any doubt about what he would like to do? Uh, I mean, absolutely. I believe if push comes to shove, Donald Trump's going to have his convention. I just can't see him not doing it. Uh, absolutely. He will also have his rallies. Uh, now, if the virus is not contained, uh, I, I still think it's a 50-50 shot that he goes ahead full steam anyway and just takes his chances. And he's talking about moving things to low-risk states. What does he mean by that? I mean, the states he will need to go to are, are, are the usual suspects, Pennsylvania, Michigan, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, oh, Wisconsin. There are no low risk states there now. What will the Democrats do? I know there's a lot of head scratching going on about that very thing. The upper reaches of the party right now. We are, after all, as I as I mentioned earlier, in uncharted territory. the The whole system has always been one of retail politics, door to door stuff, pressing the flesh, uh, you know, in person stuff. Are there any good answers as to what to do there? Well, what does the contrast look like to voters if if the Republicans run a normal campaign and the Democrats a virtual one? Mm-hmm. It's all going to depend on the virus, isn't
0: it? Yes. Uh, welcome to the show, Catherine. Um, glad to get you in at this point.
2: Sorry, I'm late. Right. Yeah. Well,
0: Catherine, I don't know if you got my two scenarios, um, but I want to get your thoughts on those. Uh, Did you hear the scenarios? If not, I'll lay them out again real quick.
2: Go ahead. I think I know what they are, but quickly go through
0: them. Okay. Um, Okay, Republicans go ahead and hold their convention in Charlotte, make no modifications. No one gets sick. The Democrats do the grand speech from Joe's Basement. Still, no one got sick uh, for, in Charlotte from the Republican convention. Then the converse. The Republicans still hold their convention in Charlotte. Democrats, you know, play it safe, go from Joe's basement. And lots of folks get sick. Charlotte's a new hot spot. Um, a lot of the Republican delegates go home. Uh, the infections spread throughout the people they come in contact. What are the political implications of each of those scenarios, and Tim, feel free to give Catherine a follow-up right after that.
3: Okay. Go ahead, Catherine. Uh,
2: um, Well, I think it's a terrible scenario um, that the Republicans would go ahead with a convention if there was still, you know, uh, if there were still, you know, if the outbreak was still, Lot, very um, volatile. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they did that, but I uh, think it would be a, a pretty dangerous decision. Um, I mean, if no one got, if no one, if they did it and it was risk, you know, there was no out, outbreak after the convention. Then bravo for them. That's good. I mean, I'm bravo that, that no one got sick. That everybody's happy. I don't think there's a big. Uh, I don't think there's a big difference. I don't. I mean, I think that the Democrats looking like they're playing it safe is good. I, I don't think that's a. I mean, the, the convention is for the party, so I don't think you're going to lose a bunch of Democrats because they didn't get to go to. You no, know, is it is it in Milwaukee? Right. Yeah. Um. um. I just I don't I I think it's uh, I don't think it's a winner either winner or loser either way unless a bunch of people get sick then I think it makes the Republicans look uh, very irresponsible and and um, I don't know that they lose votes but they certainly lose some uh, respect.
0: Hmm. You
2: think.
3: know, the thing is. We have to throw into the mix the name Donald Trump. We right. uh, we we know what Donald Trump wants to do, don't we?
2: Oh yeah, he wants. To, I mean, that's why he's on TV every day because he can't be out on at, at rallies every day. I mean, he, he's he's a, um, a, a you know glutton for all that attention and.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and i i don't think i mean i think he, he he'll do whatever he wants to do he won't yeah listen and to don't, anyone. don't don't unless, you think he's
3: go, gonna scream i want my convention?
2: yeah and the only thing that would stop him is if uh charlotte just shut him down
3: mhm well that's another question Will we, we'll, will will the city of Charlotte cooperate? You know, if 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 Trump says I'm going ahead with my convention, and this virus is still going, and if not, do you think he'd move to a friendlier place like I don't
2: know Georgia, for
3: instance?
2: Boy, that would be hard to, to move the convention, but I mean, I think he would consider it.
3: But yeah,
2: I he could come to Georgia. He couldn't come to Atlanta. The mayor wouldn't yeah. allow it. Yeah, well, somebody there. could
0: overrule it, and you could also just go to a large football stadium and not really have a convention, much like the one he had in Mobile. You know, he had that big rally in the Mobile football stadium. It sat like 50,000. They got maybe 30,000. It was still a you know, really big crowd. Early in the campaign, he moves it to a football stadium. Maybe you don't do the same you know, stage setup up and all of that. You may have all the extra events, but you could still have the speeches every night um, if mm-hmm. you moved it. And And there you could move it to places that were friendlier. Uh, because if you're just looking at, hey, um, now the the hotel and all that will be a little trickier. But if you just want this podium, the speakers and the audience, you moved in Alabama. You can move to a Wyoming. You could go to some different places. Um, well, right now, though, I, I'm excited, and I want to go ahead and welcome in our guest, because we're going to change gears. We've got one of, if probably the leading GOP media consultant in the nation, Mr. Fred Davis. Welcome to the Kudzu Vine.
1: Well, thank you. I'm really sorry we had the phone difficulties. My fault, it seems. I'm on a different line now, and it works fine.
0: It's not your fault at all, and I don't want to bore our listeners with a bunch of technical stuff. But I know exactly what happened, and I can text you later. Um, it's a it's a cell phone setting, but nevertheless,
1: oh, okay, cool. Um,
0: yeah, nevertheless, um, we're just so excited to have you on, and you've had quite an exciting career working for all kinds of folks. Just tell us a little bit of background on your experience with politics and how you got into all this.
1: Well, I got into it because my uncle, uh, he was running for governor as a kid in Oklahoma when I was in Oklahoma. His name's Jim Inhofe, and he's now United States Senator from Oklahoma. But I did his races there for governor, for mayor, for Congress. Never thought I would do anybody but Jim. I was in the real ad biz. And then in 1990, oh, say three ish David Boren left his Senate seat in Oklahoma two years early. So there was a special. Jim asked me to do it. I did it, but he didn't have much money. So the deal I made was the best deal I've ever made, turned out, which was, well, you don't have to pay me. You pay the hard costs, but you don't get any say in what we put on the air. I'm just going to put on the air whatever I want because I think typical political ads are horrible, and I'd like to show that to the world. And we did. And everything worked great, and the world's a happy place, and my phone just never quit ringing. I I literally never thought I would do anybody's ads but my uncle's. Yes. Mm. Well,
0: uh, coincidentally, for a long time, and it's really still a habit, I had a website design business, political website design business, and my first client was my wife's uncle, my uncle-in-law, state (laughs) representative (laughs) Buddy Childers. So I I guess uh, uncles can get you into politics.
1: So I hope he paid you better than mine did. <laughs> you know, he paid me all through the years, and he got
0: me all kind of other business, and we ended up doing, I mean, long list of folks, too. Um, but then I coach, and that kind of changed the course of my political sure. consulting. But uh, I want to now ask you about some some questions, and Catherine and Tim, my co-hosts, are also going to have questions, too. But we kind of, of course, familiar with your work, with Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and other folks throughout the years. But the recount has had you been doing some analysis of videos, and it's has been amazing to watch. And I hope they keep having you do that. Um, but you were talking about, after watching BioEds of Mike Bloomberg and Joe Biden, you talked about how, you know, when you're running for an executive office, people are looking for that father figure. Um, That's right. and in, in the in the spot, you allude to the fact that there will be a woman president. There are woman governors, but since they're probably not going to be a father figure, do they have to become <laughs> a mother figure, or is there another angle you have to convey using the television medium to get that across?
1: I I think it's the same, but substitute um, maybe father figure for authority figure. Somebody that you trust more than anybody else. If you're a governor or you're a president, uh, and it's different if you're a senator or a congressman, those are pretty much policy-based. But if you're the executive, like you said, you are looking to that person to keep your family safe. You're looking for the president to keep America safe from terrorists you're looking to the government uh, the governor of a state to kind of have money for schools to do the things that you know help your family and help you it's a different feeling than one of the other federal offices
0: yes well kind of a follow up to that um you know if you've been a mother you've been a father You sort of understand the whole parental role, and people have different parenting styles still. But this time we had um, some candidates that had never been parents um, running for um, president. Cory Booker, um, Kamala Harris had been a step-parent, I believe, to kids that were uh, pretty much grown when her and her husband got married. Um, Pete Buttigieg um, had never been a parent. Is it different for um, candidates that have never been a parent – to still convey that father or you know authority figure.
1: I don't think so because one thing is certain they wouldn't be born if they didn't have parents. So they knew what it was like growing up. My dad died when I was 19. And I sort of became a father figure. But I knew in my 19 years that I had my dad. I knew what a dad does. My mom is 93, and she's still alive. And mom is very much an authority figure in our family, even at 93. So mom kept us safe. Dad kept us safe, kept a roof over our head, kept food in our mouths. So it's just as important to have witnessed parents as it is to be one. I think.
0: Yes. Well, that makes total sense and optimistic that everybody now has a chance, um, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Going to change gears on you and, and, and talk about something you did in the past, but kind of apply it to our current uh, situation. In 2003, I believe it was, you ran uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's um, campaign, which part of that included recalling Gray Davis. And from my understanding, Gray Davis had run for re-election in 2002, and his campaign strategy was he wanted to make um, his opponent very unpopular to win that race. And he was successful with that. He would, Gray Davis wasn't very popular, but he made his opponent less popular. Um, Donald Trump goes into this election as a pretty unpopular figure, and it seems like one of his strategies might be to make – Joe Biden less popular um, How do you think he's going to Will he be able to accomplish that And how could he be able to
1: I think right now He's the presumptive winner And I know you guys are Dem based And I'm Republican based But just looking at you know, Public polling All this race is going to come down to It couldn't be any more simple it's going to come down to the coronavirus and the economy. Yeah. If the economy's still booming in November, if the coronavirus has been, you know, somewhat successfully squashed down, if if football leagues are playing and if the NFL's playing, if baseball somehow got to play some, if people are going to concerts again, if life is beginning to have a hint of returning to normalcy. Donald Trump will be swept in the office. Now that isn't exactly your question though, and your question's a good one. Uh, i think I think Trump is actually the leader in the race if you look at actual people who vote. That's the trick. And a lot of polls don't do that. But, you know, polls that I follow do. And they show him actually to be leading a little bit, even right now in the heat of the crisis. But I think the most logical way they – and I don't have anything to do with Trump's campaign. I did John Kasich's. So I think the way they would look at it is kind of twofold. Number one, on Joe Biden, um, he, he's moved pretty far left. And I don't think America knows that because, number one, the press doesn't do a great job at telling bad stories, what might be conceived as bad stories about, uh, you know, Democrat candidates. but. He's gotten lucky in a way with his move to the left because of the coronavirus. It's hidden it. You know, who cares about what his move to the left right now when, you know, when people are dying and there aren't masks and respirators and all that. The second point is the one you do start seeing coming out of the woodwork. And it's interesting to me that even the press is reporting on these a lot, maybe because they're colorful. But that's, um, you know, Biden's, uh, gosh, I think Joe Biden's a nice guy, but you know he's having trouble stringing words together. And that, compared to a successful—not uh, conclusion, but a, a successful uh, mid-course conclusion of the coronavirus and the economy—that would be really imposs- very impossible to beat in my brain. And you know, again, I'm not doing that right. Yes.
0: Well, I mean, we appreciate your candor, and, and we understand we have Republican guests on. They may have a different outlook, and that's okay. Um, I'm going to pass this thing over to Tim. We'll pass it to Catherine, and I, I may have another question if time allows. Sure. Tim?
3: Okay. Well, Mr. Mr. Davis, thank you for being on with us tonight. Uh, from time to time, we do have guests who have been portrayed in movies and uh I thought Bruce Altman did a good job of portraying you in uh, in Game Change. How, what what do you think of that role?
1: There? I, I, well, it's interesting that you'd ask that because I talked to Danny uh, Strong, I think was his name, the guy who wrote it, for uh-huh. a long a long time before they mm-hmm. produced it, and of course I knew Heilman and and. Uh, Mark Halperin, real well, who wrote the book
2: uh-huh.
1: and was influ— I mean, I gave him lots of information for it. And when I talked to Danny and talked to the director Jay Roach, they had a little bit different approach to the movie than what eventually came out. I thought uh-huh. the book was dead accurate. Dead accurate. Uh-huh. Uh, I can tell you one tiny little fact that I think they got wrong, but it's minor. It's so not even that interesting. It has to do with uh, what's her name's hair. What was the vice president's name? I'm drawing a blank. I'm looking at her picture. Uh, who did John McCain pick for his vice presidential choice? Help me, gentlemen. Palin. That's yes. right, Sarah. So, uh, what happened to that movie? Of the HBO show was that it became kind of what I would call Hollywoodified, and I uh-huh. I live in Hollywood. I'm sitting here now, and yet that's what happens. Uh-huh. You take a story, and they I think well, I, now you know they didn't ask me exactly what to do. They didn't have run it by me, but I thought they kind of took a Hollywood. Sp- in on what really happened Sarah Palin, like her or not she didn't go crazy like she did in that uh-huh. show uh, you know <laughs> so many things happened in that race and I think wisely they thought, well the most interesting that, thing that happened was Sarah Palin but they took that arc somewhere it didn't really go I mean she did uh-huh. start in. One, I, I did her her governor's race a million years ago uh-huh. so I knew her uh-huh. before and she uh-huh. She's never been crazy like she was portrayed in that film. She got surrounded by some crazy people, but it wasn't Sarah. Now, in my case, I thought, you know, I don't know if you know what I look like, but I think Bruce kind of looks like me. He had the hair and he had the glasses. He was a little more boring than I was, and uh, (laughs) that whole story about the ad, I mean, the direction of the campaign that I thought we should go, which was based on character, and I produced an ad to show John and the team, and that Mm -hmm. was represented in the show, but it was represented
2: so differently
1: (laughs) that it really happened that, you know, I've never been represented in a show before, and... I guess this happens all the time in real life dramas is you see what Hollywood or the movie makers do to a story and they change uh-huh. it when in reality, I think some of the real story was actually better, but it certainly got glitzy and, and they won their innies or whatever you win for those and everybody was happy. <laughs> so I was kind of uh, kind of cute to see a Fred
0: Davis character in there. Yeah. And and you mentioned uh, running uh Sarah
3: Palin's uh, ad campaign up in Alaska. So you you've done you, you've done a lot of statewide contests and you've done right. a lot of national contests. Which is
1: easier to make ads for? Between statewide and na- and national?
2: Yes. Oh, here
1: here here's what it really comes down to, Tim, and it's the simplest answer on <laughs> on the planet. I bet all of you in your lives know this. The less cooks there are in the kitchen, the easier uh-huh. it is to succeed because, you know, you don't have 50 in – a, in a presidential race, when I would write an ad, like for McCain in 08, we did all the ads, and that's like uh-huh. – 100 or 200 or something ads, every one of them went through an awful lot of people. Now, it was mainly Mm -hmm. just Steve Schmidt and I, but there were still a lot more people that would – and the tendency, I think, of everyone is to put your, your, your print on it. So, well, let's just mm-hmm. change this word. Well, let's just change this word. Well, in a 30-second ad, there's only 62 words at the most. So if mm-hmm. 20 people just change two words each, all of a sudden you have a, a, a committee rule ad <laughs> as opposed to something that started out based on solid polling and you know uh, strategy. And so it's very uh-huh. difficult in that case. Let me tell you what the easiest one is. The easiest one is right now it's working for my uncle because he's running for reelection this cycle in uh-huh. Oklahoma to the Senate. Uh-huh. And because he's won every race that I've helped him with, I have a lot of say <laughs> in that oh. one. So, so the, the, the less cooks in the kitchen, the better. So the bigger the race and the broader the ge- geography of the race, the harder it is. Uh huh. Now I have
3: noticed in looking at your ads over the years, you you
1: like to employ
3: some, uh, shall we say, quirky humor. Uh, that's which, a that's a very safe as, comment. <laughs> yeah, well, it comes it comes across really really brilliantly to me. And one race you did here in Georgia, and I actually saw this thing march in a parade in a small town. But i got to ask you, man, where did you get the idea for the rat in the King Roy hat in the governor's race down here? That was free.
1: Well, it turned out pretty good, didn't it? Um, yes, it did. We had <laughs> – we had a two-and-a-half-day planning meeting with Sonny Purdue and the whole planning team. And it was, it mm-hmm. was at Sonny's office. Where he's a pilot. So his office was at that, I think it's called Peachtree DeKalb Airport in Atlanta. Right. And right. I'm a pilot, and I love airplanes, so I loved that office because we'd be in these meetings, and I could look out at all these beautiful private jets and everything. But the meeting wasn't going so well. And every time we would bring up a new subject, uh, taxes, traffic, water, all the millions of subjects, jobs, all the subjects there are when you're running for governor of Georgia, uh, Sonny would not have a solution. He, would very, he was very specific that he didn't have a solution, and he would say, well, it's not the governor's job to determine all those things. It's the governor's job to assemble the brightest minds on each of those issues and then come to, get them to come to consensus on what needs to be done and then implement it. Well, that sounds great. But it's not an easy answer for the ad guy, you know. So I kept pushing for, no, what are your ideas on how to fix traffic? Well, it's not. the, (laughs) You know, and he would just say it over and over and over again. And at the same time, they would mention that Roy Barnes, who was a very popular governor at the time and the incumbent, that he was the opposite, that he was kind of an autocrat that he would just say, okay, I know better than you, here's how we fix traffic, here's how we fix water, here's how we fix this. And this wasn't Sonny saying that, but it was the other people around the table. And the last night, we'd been there two days, two long, grueling days, and we didn't have a brilliant plan for getting Sonny elected. And the last night... Sonny said, well, Hollywood, and it was meant very derogatorily. (laughs) He goes, why don't you just – I don't hear any great ideas here on how we get elected. Why don't you just – instead of going to dinner, why don't you go back to your hotel and figure this out? And I knew the next day I was leaving on a flight at 1 o'clock, and that was the best news in the world because this had been strenuous. It had been tough. So I went to bed, went back to the hotel. Went to bed with a legal pad, having no idea how we were going to solve this. And I swear, Tim, in the middle of the night, I woke up with this visual of a 50-foot-tall rat rampaging Georgia. And, of course, it's <laughs> King, right? the You know, the governor, because he's he's – Dictating what needs to happen, as opposed to listening to the people, and I I wrote this little ten minute like film or something you know, on the legal pad in the middle of the night without turning the light on, you know. So just great big scrawling writing. Next morning at eight, we have our meeting, and yeah. I just, I wanted to be anywhere but there, but I stood up and I read my little film about the rat, and it was deadly silent. <laughs> around the room (laughs) nobody said a word and uh sonny's management style which i bet you he still uses today at the ag department his management style is to not let you know what he thinks of something until everyone else has put their two cents worth in so everybody went around the table and everybody was (laughs) non-committal on calling the governor a rat and it finally got back to sonny's turn And he said, he had a newspaper in his hand. He rolled it up and he kind of hit the table. And he said, Well, Hollywood, I don't hear any better ideas. I guess you got to go build us a rat. And 30 days (laughs) later, that thing premiered. It took all the money we had, every dime he'd raised to make the movie. These days, it would have been cheaper. But in those days, you know, 2000, I think it was, in those days, Uh there weren't all these magical computer. Techniques and things. So there really was a rat. I mean, there, that was a $40,000 rat suit that was built out here for us in Hollywood by the same guys that build those white stormtrooper uniforms for the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. And the head guy <laughs> got so interested in this project that he built it to fit himself. So the owner of that big Hollywood effects company was actually in the rat suit. We and when we shot it, it has a long tail, of course, and at the end uh-huh. of the tail is an air conditioning unit that pumps chilled water through the suit because it gets so hot. These days you just do it in a computer. But in those days that was a real <laughs> rat suit. <laughs> Wow. I don't have a
3: question to top that one, so I'm (laughs) going to send it over to Catherine. Catherine?
2: Hi, Catherine. Hello. Well, that's a pretty... Thanks, Tim. How am I going to follow that? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Have you got any other rest to start? No. um, I just wondered uh, if you could talk about I thought it was interesting to hear how you uh, met with, you know, those people for two days. Is that sort of the typical method to come up with these ideas, or do you usually come up with ideas and present them to a campaign?
1: No, usually there is what you call the campaign strategy meeting, and it is a one-time event in every campaign. And even if somebody's running for reelection, you have another one. You know, you have one each cycle. And all the players are there, the media guys, which is me, the pollsters, the direct mail people, the digital people, the campaign manager. Sometimes the candidate is, sometimes the candidate's not. I always like to have the candidate and a few of their friends that have known them since they were a kid, if possible, because then you really get to know the person really well. And it's usually a day and a half to two and a half days, depends on how it sort of lays out. And your dinners are part of the deal. And those are camaraderie building. So there's a, there's a reason for everything that happens in them. And when you walk out of there, the goal is not to have the ad campaign in mind. That was an unusual situation. The goal is to have a very detailed, inch-thick campaign plan that everyone can follow. And ideally, this doesn't happen often, but ideally that meeting takes place two years before the election. And then that whole group revisits it, say, quarterly to see if there's any changes. And if you do your job right, you'd be amazed how few changes there are because you know it's a lot cheaper to envision an entire campaign just sitting in a room and trying to think of what will work and what won't work as opposed to every day having – and this is what a lot of campaigns do – Having to come up with a new plan, having to adjust what happens, and if you do your planning right, campaigns are actually kind of calm and pleasant. And those aren't words that most people in campaigns would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but Sonny's <laughs> campaign—I mean, we came from behind, from nowhere, to winning, and it, we had mm-hmm. fun. It was—it was—it was a fun, fun. And those are still my good friends, people that you know. Uh, we're little tiny people in that race we're, we're big people now So a lot of careers were made
2: off of that Wow That's really interesting um, I'm going to pass it to get back to David And for him I think he has some more questions And we really appreciate having you on tonight Thank you Mr. David Well, well thanks for having me it
1: was, it was a fun way to have a little time on Sunday afternoon to do it <laughs>
0: Yes, I know at California time You're in the afternoon, we're about to have Evening strike Um, Well, Mr. Davis, I don't want to ask you more questions But I do want to make you maybe feel a little bit better That cooks in the kitchen When I would build websites My lead designer, Gilbert I would say, get ready, Gilbert. There's too many cooks in this kitchen. I would use the same, same phrase. I'd be like, you know, um, you know. We had a course, of course, you know, laying down videotape and, and building a website or different, but we would figure out if we knew there was a lot of cooks, we'd listen to all of them and reincorporate it and do one round of changes. Um so it wouldn't become like five rounds of changes and whatnot. But I, I completely feel you, and I'm I'm sure even though we weren't on the opposite side of the aisle, including that 2002 race, I worked for um, the Barnes, Barnes fundraising team on the website and Max Cleveland. Oh, Cleland. did you really? Uh, yes. And, wow, uh, wow. Yeah, that was, that was a bad year for Democrats, although I worked Mark Pryor's race that year um, as right. well. but um, He's a good guy. A, a lot of good guys. A lot of people are good. We just disagree on politics. That's, um, that's good exactly life, right.
1: That's in exactly two. right.
0: Yeah, and, and if politics works like it should, it should be that you know that song, and I've quoted a lot of times. There are no good guys, ain't no bad guys. There's just you and me, and we just disagree. And when politics right. is like that, yeah. I think it, it can be more civil. Um, but like I said, I don't have any questions right now because some of the questions, the other ones I had, were kind of things they'll be good in maybe three months, and so. Um, hopefully down the road we might can have you on again um, We'll have to time it If there's football games and I don't know if you follow the Rams or the Raiders or whoever uh, We'll try to make sure it doesn't hit During your football time slot But um, being on the West well, Coast let me, but,
1: let me tell you the answer to that real quickly I've been a season ticket holder to the Rams I had the best seats in the stadium Since they came back to LA I loved them until this last year and they made bad trades. They had uh, horrible, they just did horribly. And I have a house in Kansas as well. And so I've switched, and I've become a Chiefs fan. So just in time. I've I became a Chiefs fan just in time. Yes. <laughs> so that's the one to watch out for.
0: Most definitely. Well, we'll work with you if you're willing. But before you go, we know you're doing these videos for the recount. If anybody wants to see any more of your insight or maybe look at ads as you release them publicly, where could they find you?
1: God, that's embarrassing that I don't know how to get to those recount ads. I would imagine you do something. You Google the recount. I think there's a the in front of it. And probably can get to those. And it's fine to go to my website. We have hundreds and hundreds of ads on, and we put them on as soon as they've aired in a particular cycle. So, of course, we don't put them on before, so it's safe to go there. And it's strategicperception.com. Pretty easy. Yes. Well,
0: once again, we thank you for all the great stories and insights.
1: You're more than welcome. And I'll come back anytime. You guys are fun. This was a good time.
2: <laughs> sure thing.
1: <laughs> Thank, Thank you, sir. Sir.
2: Thank you. Good
1: luck, kids. Bye bye. Bye.
0: All right, that was Fred Davis uh, out of um, California by way of um, Oklahoma, and I guess now Kansas. Uh, been all over. Um, but guys, I wanted us to have just a few more minutes uh, to discuss another topic, something not COVID. Nineteen related, um, which I'm sure we're ready for a little bit of change of pace. But this is something I guess we got to get in the wayback machine. And Catherine, I'm not even sure you were with us back when this one gentleman from DeKalb County just seemed to <laughs> be a topic over and over. And was has even been a guest at least twice on our show. And um, even did the first internet debate. Um, he and Jim Martin uh, debated on our show, um, and, and we've talked to him a handful of times, and honestly, I would be opposed to talking to him again. Uh might be a oh little God. more direct with him than I have been in the past, because I'm even madder than when he admitted on our show that he voted for Bush not once but twice, because he had never admitted that until he admitted that on the Kudzu Vine. But Vernon Jones, just out in the middle of everybody, Democratic state representative from DeKalb County, a very Democratic place, has endorsed wholeheartedly, in the middle of a downturn for Donald Trump's approval at the moment, possibly ongoing, we don't know, has endorsed Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Catherine, what are your thoughts on... Bernie Jones doing this now and in this forceful of a way.
2: It's pathetic. Um, you know he he loves attention. Um, he's always been uh, conservative, as far I mean, way more conservative than his than DeKalb County. I mean, DeKalb County is one of the most democratic counties in the country. He, I'm, I'm, he's just not, not really, doesn't really fit. But some of the people in DeKalb County really like him, so there's that. Hmm. Um, I don't understand it, uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with seeking attention, and um, this certainly drew attention to him. I mean, they talked about it on Georgia Gang this morning, and. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just disgusted by it.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, we know that people have crossed the aisle to to endorse the other party in races at times. Something about this just feels different. Um, I, I don't know what it is. Tim, what are your thoughts?
3: Well, I don't know about the feeling different, but you know, I've I've gotta kinda of echo Catherine. Is anybody surprised, you know, at anything Vernon right. Jones says so, because uh, the man has always struck me as an avid self promoter. Might be why he likes Trump so much. This sort of wildness has defined his political career. Uh he has, you know, you as you've mentioned with, with Bush twice and he, he's supported GOP candidates and some of their issues for a long time. Uh he's always run as a Democrat, claimed to be one, but but, but obviously in DeKalb County, as Catherine also mentioned, he has to run as one uh but then you're looking at a guy that say supported the fair tax. I mean come on uh, uh, how, how many democrats in DeKalb county do we know that did that? Uh he had he you remember when he sent out that mailer with his picture and Obama's uh together uh in in 2008 and you know the president uh, our then candidate, w- was not pleased at all by this and clearly remembered it because in in the line when he was shaking hands, somebody pointed out to President Obama that Vernon Jones had supported uh, Bush twice and had, you know, vocally bragged about it, uh, especially to us and you know, so the president certainly remembered it and wasn't pleased with him. He had a lot of personal issues, too, uh, with the extravagant spending. And uh, you, know, you guys might remember the, the almost rate charge that was never filed. And uh, uh, he, he some employees sued him for firing him and, and that sort of thing when he was CEO of DeKalb County. And and so um he he he's just he he he's just uh, a loose cannon. He's he's the very de- textbook definition of one. Uh, I I believe though that that they've about had enough of him over there, from what I've heard, and they're 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 ready to go get him. I I, I hope they do.
0: Yeah, let's get into that now. He is in a he is a Democratic primary opponent. Um, right. And Bob Trammell, the state minority leader, has openly endorsed his primary opponent. Didn't poll test it. Didn't check with anybody. Pretty much on Twitter within like an hour, had said, "I'm here's his opponent. I'm endorsing her. Give her money." Uh, I, you know, we're not even sending this to the caucus. And so you could probably figure where the rest of the caucus was with Bernie Jones. For him not to even, you know, hesitate two seconds to, you mm-hmm. know, make this move. So, Catherine, mm-hmm. do you think um, Vernon Jones? What do you think his odds are of reelection in this Democratic primary?
2: No, oh, that's really hard. Uh, of course, uh, Nikema Williams, the chair of the party, also came out uh, strongly opposed to his um, statements about um, Trump. <clears throat> I mean it's gonna it's gonna be hard because he's like I said, he's popular and he's the incumbent. Um and we don't know how we're gonna be voting. You know, there's gonna be a lot of complications around voting probably in the primary, yeah. certainly. So mm-hmm. uh I wouldn't wanna I wouldn't wanna bet against him. Another story about him that I read somewhere uh, was that he wanted a dog to have in his one of his ads. So he like adopted a dog from the Humane Society and he took all these pictures and then he wanted to return it.
0: He <laughs> oh, <my laughs> oh, couldn't have goodness. borrowed it. Well that means
2: he didn't have <laughs> any friends because if somebody
0: was your friend, he could have borrowed the friend's dog to put in the ad. Whatever. Um You know, I mean, yeah. I tell you what, I'll Uh, go ahead and say it, Tim. You can second me, and Catherine, you can volunteer your cat. Um, I don't recall her name, but if Vernon Jones' primary opponent needs a dog for a picture or an ad or anything she wants, I will drive either of my dogs down to be in her campaign ad. Catherine, you can volunteer the cat. Tim, you can volunteer your dog if you want to. Yeah, I I got
3: two dogs, and one of them is a yellow dog. So, yeah, I'll be <laughs> glad to volunteer
0: it. Yeah, She so can have the pick of the litter, so to speak. Well, let me, right. you one, let me throw one more thing out there, um, and, and I guess I gave Catherine the last question, so Tim, I'll give you this one. Do you think Vernon Jones has a sense that time was up That he has a a better opponent in the Democratic primary. He may lose. And then, if he loses and Donald Trump were to win, and he's like the most vocal Democrat, because there's probably, you know, you can pretty much fit them all in Vernon Jones' closet. It's him um, that endorses Donald Trump. That somehow he might get some type of role in the Trump administration. Now, I don't mean a major cabinet post, but, you know, something. Is this him trying to um, parlay this into the next move?
3: You know, having interviewed him a couple of times, I've got to say this is just simply Vernon Jones being exactly who he is because he just really did come across as that type. Uh, both times that we had him on, so I just, I just think you saw Bernie Jones as he is, don't you, Catherine?
1: Yeah, I
2: don't. I think he believes he's going to win. I don't think hmm. I don't. I mean, he may have other. Um, I, I, I don't think he's. I don't know, but I, I think he is confident that he will win.
3: Yeah, and I, I just think that's him being who he is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we'll see because I think he's gone too far now, and I think this um, opponent, we're going to have to learn her name because I think she's going to be a state representative. I I think think she's going to get money put behind her, and she's going to be able to run and probably outspend him. One thing that won't go in her favor, she can't go door-to-door in this situation. Maybe you can go mailbox-to-mailbox. Maybe if if people have paper boxes or the flag, you can throw your – card on there uh, safely without too many people freaking out i understand that you'd probably want to wear a glove because could you know the virus could you know be stick to the the placeholder card but um figure out some way to campaign in a primary because you those local elections door to door is is a really big part of it um and so that does complicate matters for an incumbent Well, once again, great to have Fred Davis on. Sounds like we might get a return visit down the road where we can ask more questions we all had. Um, And next week, we're real excited because we've already secured our guest, Evan Scrumshaw of Lean Toss-Up out of Canada, is going to come and talk more politics about America than Canada. But I am going to have at least one Canadian question for him. So we're going to have him on the show next week. Until then,
2: good night, everybody. Good night y'all. Good night, guys.
0: We
1: are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom? With the lucky landslides,
3: you can get lucky just about anywhere.